These words may be familiar to some. Hare'at mikudeshet li b'tabaat zo hidat Moshe v'Yisrael. Don't repeat that to me because then we'll be married. Um, but those are, of course, the Hebrew wedding vows. Not to be outdone by I do. How about this one? I'll pay you back by Thursday, I promise. The person whose signature appears above agrees to repay the debt according to the terms of the credit card agreement. I swear that I'll be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors, and that I will faithfully observe the laws of Canada and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. I haven't said that yet, but I'm practicing sometime in the next few months, I'm told. I swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States now pending, I will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws, so help me God. How many promises, how many promises do we make every day? What kinds of solemn binding oaths do we routinely witness? How are our decisions constrained by agreements that we have made with other persons? or with commercial enterprises like banks or credit cards or those software agreements that we never read, but we click and are probably signing away our entire lives and privacy, and insurance companies. How many of us have made a vow like the following? Please, God, if my loved one will just recover, I promise if you just bring her back to good health, I promise I will never, never, never or I promise I will, I will, I will, I will, always, always, always. I have most frequently taught that Judaism is a religion of action, not creed. That in Jewish tradition, what you think and what you say are generally inconsequential in the eyes of God, that we are judged on what we do. And as I've shared before with you, the question that we will be asked when we die as Jews, according to the Talmud, is not, did you believe in God? Not, did you pray and attend synagogue? But rather, the question that we are asked on our final judgment if we are, was, is if we were honest in our business dealings. Implied that it is when you are a person in business, are you a person of integrity? When given the opportunity to take advantage of a client, did you do the right thing? Judaism is a moral ethic. Its focus is on behavior, not belief. But there is one great exception. We take vows and oaths very, very seriously. At least we're commanded to take them very, very seriously. <clears throat> In Numbers chapter 30, it begins with a discussion of vows and oaths, and it reads that if a man makes a vow to the eternal or takes an oath, imposing an obligation upon himself. He shall not break his pledge. He must carry out all that has come out of his mouth. The prohibition on swearing falsely is one of the Ten Commandments. And an entire tractate of the Talmud, Nedarim, deals with the laws concerning oaths, an entire tractate of the Talmud. In fact, the Talmud states that the punishment for breaking a vow is the death of one's children. The Shulchan Aruch, a later codification of rabbinic law, explicitly warns people not to regularly make vows 
and states that someone who does, who regularly makes vows, even if they fulfill those vows, is called wicked and considered a sinner because they increase the risk, the likelihood, that they will violate this most sacred of commandments by setting it up as a vow or an oath. Many observant Jews, if you've had conversations with them, will have the practice of saying, bli neder, bli neder, without a vow, whenever they promise to do something, to make explicit that they're not making a vow. Right? I'll be there on Tuesday, bli neder. Given the seriousness of oaths and vows and the fact that Jews during some periods of history were compelled to make declarations of fealty to other religions, the rabbis developed formulas for the disillusion of vows. The most famous and best known to us, of course, is Kol Nidre, on the Arab of Yom Kippur in advance of the High Holy Days. That prayer, Kol Nidre, literally means all vows. And it was created to free the individual from thoughtlessness and thoughtless promises that were made before God. Vows that we make because that we make between one another, the Kol Nidre prayer does not remove the obligation until each of us goes to that person and seeks forgiveness from them. Yes, not keeping your word to another person is as grave a sin in Judaism as all of the horrible acts we normally associate with sins and sinful behavior. And so it was that this past week that I, I think like many of you, watched with true respect and admiration as U.S. Senator Mitt Romney, a Republican from the reddest of red states of Utah, cited his deeply held Mormon faith with explaining why he would vote to convict the President of the United States on the first count of impeachment abuse. No desire to talk about the President or his actions or the impeachment or politics around it. Enough has already been said, and it's quite clear to me that people only hear what they want to hear in that entire subject. I'm not talking about that. But I do want to talk about the incredible example of what the great mid-20th century American rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik called once the lonely man of faith, the example of Mitt Romney. In, in Soloveitchik's book called The Lonely Man of Faith, his master work, he explores the example of the biblical Adam in the Garden of Eden. And he identifies the struggle that we all must undergo as human beings in this eternal existence, or this ethereal, excuse me, this ethereal existence of life that is both spiritual and material, both mystical and scientific, both redemptive yet also empowered. Are we here to master over the world, accountable to no one but ourselves, or are we here in the garden to tend the garden and to till the soil? contractually bound through covenant to God and constrained by that relationship, guided and directed by our actions and in our actions. Romney's answer in that of Jewish tradition is clearly the latter, that we are in covenant, we are in contract, that we are not free to just do as we please, that we are in covenant with God, that there are rules to life, and we must follow those rules. And some of those are rules that are set by God, and some... Vows and oaths are set by human beings but are witnessed by God. And in the eyes of Judaism and in the eyes of Senator Romney, that is a distinction without a difference. Whether God makes the rule or we make it as an oath or a vow, it is as binding. If one makes a vow or an oath before, it is said before God, 
It is as binding as the one who makes it as if it is any of the commandments of the Torah. And by the way, as we talked about over dinner for our Lutheran visitors, Judaism counts 613 commandments in the Hebrew Bible. 613 times God says, don't do this or do that. The Ten Commandments are just one collection of some of them, and arguably, Jewish tradition would say that they're not even necessarily the most important one. It's not a top ten list. In his passionate and courageous speech on the floor of the U.S. Senate, Senator Romney declared the following. As a senator juror, I swear, I swore an oath before God to exercise impartial justice. I am profoundly religious. My faith is at the heart of who I am. I take an oath before God as enormously consequential. I knew from the outset that being tasked with judging the president, the leader of my own party, would be the most difficult decision I have ever faced. I was not wrong. But my promise before God to apply impartial justice required that I put my personal feelings and political biases aside. Were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath and the Constitution demands of me for the sake of a partisan end, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. There are moments when witnessing another person's heartfelt practicing of their faith affirms my own. And this was for me this week one of those moments, a moment when my faith needed to be affirmed. When a Mormon conservative Republican reminded me of the power of words, the covenant we have with God and the charge that we are all given as human beings to be worthy of being created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God. Senator Romney went on to say that his vote would be but a footnote in the annals of history and that it would not change the verdict of the president's actions and would undoubtedly result in political retribution. And indeed, all of those have already proven to be true. But his vote and his reasoning behind it, that he took an oath before God to apply impartial justice, which required that he put his personal feelings and his political biases aside, did something that is far greater than a footnote. He taught all of us, taught the world, because I, give, because I think few give much heed to the whole value, vows and oaths section of the Torah, the Talmud, on a daily basis, he taught us all that we are accountable for our actions. If not in this world and this lifetime, then we will be held accountable for them in the world to come in Olam Haba. That we are not free agents, free to make up our own rules and then to change them as we see fit so that we can win the game. To a life, to live a life as a moral ethic, as Judaism demands, is to not only aspire to a high standard, but to hold ourselves accountable to that standard, in word and in deed. And I will say this, which is maybe over the line that I had set before, but I think it needs to be said. Had the president, or for that matter, many of the politicians at the center of the events surrounding the president's actions, held themselves to that standard, had they valued their oath of office or their oath they did Wednesday evening, and as the civil servants and military officers who courageously and honorably stepped forward 
because of their oaths and testified, because of their sense of duty. Had those other characters in this Faustian drama similarly honored their oath, I am certain that this whole chapter in American history would have been written very differently. Indeed, it may have never have been needed to be written at all. You see, this 2,500-year-old tradition that is in the ark behind me, this book, it's not irrelevant. It's not old stuff. It's not entirely out of step with our modern times. It's not perfect, and that is true also, but it is a moral code. It still has much to teach us, and I pray that we're wise enough to heed its lessons, particularly now. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Our service continues, page 586, we rise for a layman.